Father, we ask in these moments uh, that you would grant us clarity um, and that we would be able to together discern what it is you are speaking this morning and that your spirit would be understood here and that we would respond in obedience and worship. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're reading Deuteronomy for the first time, or if you're reading it for the first time in a long time, or if maybe you have decided you want to read through the Old Testament or the whole Bible, by the time you get to Deuteronomy, you may find yourself feeling kind of exhausted, right? And you get to Deuteronomy, and you think to yourself, like, I'm done with the weird names and the unfamiliar places and the long list of commands, and you get to Deuteronomy, and it just feels a little bit like one of those unnecessary sequels that Hollywood always treats us to. Um, it happens all the time. The, the low-hanging fruit, obviously, is the, the Fast and the Furious franchise. It's too easy. Um, obviously, even they are so exhausted with these movies they continue to create that they've started abbreviating them. They've made so many, they're ex so exhausted saying the title, putting it on the screen again and again, that they just abbreviate it now. It's F9, Fast X, because it's the 10th one, you know, they're smart. So this is how it works. That one won't get me in any trouble because I think most of us are in agreement. But um, the children's animated movies and the constant need for another sequel. Cars, why, why do I need another Cars? Like, like, why do I need another Nemo? It's already beautiful enough. This father finds his lost son. This is wonderful. Why do we need another Nemo, right? That might get me in the hot water, but that's how Deuteronomy feels a little bit. It feels a little bit like this is the same thing we've already heard. Moses is just repeating what we heard in the first movie. And now we have to sit through it all over again. It's just 40 years later. He's just saying the same stuff, right? And that's true. If you read Deuteronomy, what you will find is that some things he says verbatim, exactly the same, okay? And the question for you inevitably may be, why is Deuteronomy necessary then? Not just why is this series that we're going to be doing over the summer necessary. Why is the book of Deuteronomy as a whole actually necessary? Does it actually matter? And what we're going to kind of try to convince you of is that Deuteronomy just isn't what it looks like at first glance. Deuteronomy is not what it seems to be. Like, just begin with the name. The name Deuteronomy. I'm sure you've all wondered what it means before. You've looked at it and thought, what does that mean? It's a Greek word. It's two different Greek words. Deutero meaning second and namas meaning law. Simple, right? It's the second giving of the law. It's a repeat. It's a sequel. It's the same thing. Is what it sounds like to a lot of people. And it does that. It is a second giving of Torah. But the, the Hebrew name, the original name, is Devarim. Devarim in Hebrew just means words, the words. And it comes from the first verse that Rachel read. These are the words that Moses spoke. Before the people are going to enter into the promised land, Moses speaks to them not like a motivational speech it's this reminder of a covenant it's wisdom it's Moses speaking into them before they step into unfamiliar territory the words and that sounds pretty basic and uninventive you think maybe they could have been a bit more creative with it but honestly it's the better title it's the more accurate title 
Because these are Moses' words. It's not just a repeat of all of the laws you've already heard. You haven't heard this before. This is unique. There's more here than just laws. These are the words of Moses, and he's doing something specific. Torah, this word you may have heard, the Jewish word for law, it has never meant just commandments. It's never meant just laws. It's not just a list of laws, right? We call the first five books of the Bible generally the, the five books of the law. That's the way we refer to it most of the time. A Jewish person would call it Torah, the first five books of the law. And the first five books, if you know anything about Genesis through Deuteronomy, they're not just long lists of laws. There's a whole lot more happening there. Genesis through Deuteronomy is this whole story of how God chose a people for himself, how he he redeemed them, how he saved them from slavery, how he declared that they were his, how he chose to bless them that they might ultimately become a blessing to the nations, right? And the law was always just a means to that end, always a means to bringing them to be this unique, distinct group of people in the ancient world who reveal what his character is like that they might ultimately be a light to those nations. Torah is this majestic story of God's gracious redemption. That's what it is, this picture of what God has been doing. God's steadfast love. And Moses is telling you again. He's telling, really, a, a younger generation. If you've never read Deuteronomy, he's speaking to the children of that first generation. He's speaking to people who weren't necessarily around when the law was given. They didn't experience Sinai. They didn't experience the Exodus necessarily. They might not all have been there. And he isn't just giving them the rules. Yes, he'll repeat those things, but he's not just giving them the rules. He's giving them the whole story. He wants them to see the entire thing because the law only makes sense if you see it in the story. If you understand what God has done, what God is doing, what God intends, only then can the law make sense. Without the incredible story of God's gracious redemption, law rules this way of life he's called us to. It all just seems empty because it would be. But God has done something, something profound and beautiful. You need that story, Moses is saying. That's what he's giving us in Deuteronomy. More than just rules, he's giving us a story, something we need to cling to, that we need to live into, that we need to stay in, right? It isn't just some unnecessary sequel. Deuteronomy is like the director's cut. It's like the extended edition. Moses is giving you all these different angles, all these shots that were cut from the original. He's letting you see all of these things you wouldn't have seen the first time, maybe. He's giving you a different perspective. He's allowing them to understand some things maybe they didn't, giving them new insights. We don't often think about it like this, but Deuteronomy is kind of like the prototype for sermons like this. In, in Scripture, you don't really see anything like this before Deuteronomy. Moses stands there and he articulates for the people what he believes God's word to them is as they're about to step into completely unknown frontier. And they're frightened. He won't get to go with them. He will not see the promised land. And he's speaking God's word to them. He's giving them a different sort of perspective. He's offering wisdom for the days ahead. 
giving them advice at some level, but there's more. He does all of that by telling them a story that they likely already know at some level. They've heard it, pieces of it maybe, maybe lots of it. It sounds very familiar to them. They likely already know it. It sounds like repetition to them too. He's giving them the same story. Just like we're doing week in and week out. Like there's sometimes we sit down and there's this really familiar passage somebody's talking about. It's like, great, this is, this is awesome. We're, we're going to talk about Luke 15 again. Prodigal son, I've, I've kind of heard this one. Could we move on from it? No, we can't. We're going to give you the same story week in and week out. That's Moses' goal. That's our goal to speak the same story into our changing circumstances. The circumstances will always be different and somehow the story will always speak to it. That's what Moses is showing. Moses is telling us this story, how God heard the cries of his people, how God listens to his people, and now God is flipping that. He has heard them, and now he's asking them to hear him. This is the cry of Deuteronomy. Hear what God is speaking. This is the whole emphasis, the whole significance of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, before Moses even begins to speak, maybe you caught this when Rachel read it, there's this subtle hint, maybe it's not so subtle, that Deuteronomy has more going on than just rules because he makes this little comment, okay? It's in parentheses in most of your translations. Check it out if you've got it in your hand. It says, parenthetically here, it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him. So this is just the author giving us an introduction, right? Like a lot of authors do, they give us some context, some setting for this whole story. And I know that all of you could probably navigate your way around the ancient Middle East, but just in case you don't know where Horeb is, Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai, which is maybe a little bit more familiar to you. Mount Sinai is the place where Moses goes up on the mountain. He receives the law from God, and the people are there for like a year. They leave Egypt, they go to Sinai. That's where they receive the law the first time. Kadesh Barnea is this place right on the edge of Canaan. It's right across the Jordan River from Canaan, from the Promised Land. It's the first place that they were supposed to enter into the Promised Land. It was where they were going to cross into Canaan. And it's also the place where they refused to cross into Canaan because they were too afraid. It seemed like too insurmountable a task. And so they refused what God was calling them to. What we're being told is it takes 11 days to get from Sinai or Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, the promised land, right on the edge of it. 11 days, and it took 40 years, the author says. It could have taken them 11 days to make the trip. God called them to leave. Remember, Moses is about to tell us the story. God said, it's time for you to leave, Sinai. And go to the promised land. And it should have taken 11 days, but it took 40 years. What happened? It's like the author's trying to tell you. There's a story. There's a story you need to hear, and it gets ugly. What should have taken 11 days took 40 years. And as you read the rest of chapter 1, and really the rest of the book, you notice something, right? Moses, over and over again, is speaking to this younger generation as if they were participants in the whole thing, as if they experienced these things. Moses keeps saying, you, 
Remember, this is not the generation that rejected the promised land. This is their children. All of those older people have suddenly, or excuse me, slowly died off. Their generation has come to an end, and it's the only way they can enter into the promised land. Not just because God didn't want them to enter in, because they had rebelled against him. That is an element of it, but to some extent, it's because they didn't want it. They were too afraid of it. They weren't interested in it. And now, he's saying to their children, who had no part in this, you. If you read the rest of the first chapter, you see this sort of thing. Moses says, I said to you, and, and you answered me, and then all of you came to me and said, and it gets kind of ugly. Moses is actually accusing them of being the reason he can't go to the promised land. They played a part in it. Their rebellious nature. They didn't do anything. And yet Moses is saying, this is still your story. This is still yours. You're still affected by it. You still have to respond to it. It's still your story, right? You don't get to inherit the blessings that are associated with this story and ignore all of the pain and all of the failure and all of the rebellion and all of the consequences. You don't get to. It's still your story. You inherited it, but it's yours. And I think there's something, there's something for us. Because some of us come from pretty painful family backgrounds. We come with pretty painful stories. And a lot of times we, we spend a lot of our lives trying to get away from that, trying to ignore all of that, trying to push that aside. And Moses is teaching us something. You need the story. This is an inherently a part of being a believer. You need the story. And the same thing is true uh, about the present sort of climate of our culture. There is like a very real war, it seems like, being waged, especially on Twitter, over history and how we understand the events of history, what it looks like, how we understand it. What are we supposed to do with this? And you hear people say all the time, I didn't do that. I played no part in that. Why do I need to continue to somehow degrade myself? Why do I need to continue to, to rehash these really painful things that I had no part in? And it's like Moses is saying again and again, it's still your story. You don't get to inherit the blessings and the goodness without acknowledging the pain and the oppression and the rebellion and the consequences that come with it. This is important. And the sense that you get from the book of Deuteronomy is that not just that generation needs to hear this story again. Every generation needs to continue to hear this story of what happened over the course of these 40 years. Every generation will receive it differently. It will speak uniquely, and yet it will speak the same way. Deuteronomy, you'll notice, places this tremendous emphasis on children. Not necessarily if you have children or have a family. It's not like that. He's talking about children in the sense that children belong to all of us. They belong to the people of Israel, whether they're yours or not. He says, you need to tell the next generation, right? So he's telling this younger generation, and then he's telling them, you have to tell this to your children. They need to know this story. He's setting about this pattern, really. He says in, uh, in chapter 6, actually, you'll see this in a couple of weeks. We'll be there. Moses says... When your children ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations and the laws and the decrees that the Lord has given us? 
Moses says, tell them we were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out. The children will come with questions. What is the meaning of all of this? All these rules and commandments, this whole way of life, we're so different from everybody else. Why do we do this? And Moses says, tell them the story. Keep telling them the story. And this is important, right? Because our lives are full of a whole lot of questions. You're asking a lot of questions. Your children may ask a lot of questions. Inevitably, we wrestle with questions. And the answer every time is keep telling the story. Keep hearing the story. Stay inside this story. Don't be shaped by another story. One of the, uh, the first things, uh, or first movies, I guess, excuse me, one of the first movies that I saw during the whole pandemic madness experience of 2020, uh, after having not been to the theater for a long time, I think Jonathan and a group of guys, I can't remember how it got put together, we ended up going to see Christopher Nolan's movie, Tenet, in the theater, okay? And I will spare you the details, you're welcome, um, but it deals with time travel, uh, as many Nolan films, um, lots to do with, with time, uh, and in particular, by the reversal of human entropy, okay? Yeah. So, it's loud, it's very fast, and no one in the theater at any given point in the movie knows what is happening. No one. And so the conversation walking out of the place is the same for everybody. What just happened in there? My ears hurt, and I, I, I don't understand. And I remember our friend Gage, a lot of you guys know Gage. Gage lives in Nashville, dearly departed Gage. Um, <laughs> Gage is a, a movie lover, and Gage looks at me as we're having this conversation. All of us are talking about it, and he says, this is the third time I've watched that movie, because Gage is that kind of person. He's going to watch it three times. I think he's going to go watch it again after that. And he says, I understand it less now than I did the first time. I still don't get it. And it's like Moses is trying to say, Torah is one of those stories. You will never fully get it. You will never be able to fully make sense of it. Either why God is so gracious or why we're so rebellious. Why we never figure it out or why he continues to be so kind. You will never be able to make sense of it. The tenth time or the hundredth time, it will always need to be something you keep coming back to and being shaped by. These laws, this whole way of life that we're called to in the kingdom, it can be easy to forget it, to ignore it, to kind of move on from it and say, obviously, that's kind of impossible, and I'm just going to lean into the grace of God through Jesus. It can be easy to, to set aside all of these things unless you're continually hearing them in the story, living into the story. The gospel, as we know it, it does not begin with the birth of Jesus. It begins much further back in the beginning. The story of a God who is steadfast in his love, stubborn in his love toward a stubbornly and steadfastly rebellious people. It begins in stories like what Moses is telling. We fail and God continues to be committed to us, continued, continues to be committed to this promise he made to bring it to fruition. This is the story over and over again. And we have to stay there. And when 
When Moses finishes this whole thing, if you are, are daring enough, bold enough to read all 34 chapters of Deuteronomy, when you finish it, when the Israelites enter into the promised land, they're not finished with the story. Deuteronomy's so cool in the, the effects that it has. If you read the rest of the Old Testament, you begin to see the effects of it. If you read the New Testament, you begin to see the effects of Deuteronomy, the reverberations of what Moses is doing here throughout their history. We finish Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is never willing to be finished with us. Right? It just keeps on shaping. There's this story in, in 2 Kings 22. You may have read it, you may have heard it. It's a story of one of the few righteous kings in Judah's history. Judah had pretty rough kings. Israel had even worse, okay? Idolatrous, sinful, rebellious, all the above. One of those kings in Judah was Josiah. Uh, maybe you've heard Josiah. Josiah was the son of one of Judah's worst kings. His father was a terrible man. And when I say that, that's like the understatement of the century. Manasseh is what happens when someone stops hearing the story. Manasseh is what happens when someone attempts to live their life outside of this story. He's shaped by another narrative, another story. He begins to make sense of things that are so inconceivable. His reign as king is, is one of the darkest in their history. He doesn't just institute the worship of idols in Israel. He allows those idols to be brought into the temple of Yahweh. He brings in foreign priests into the temple of God. He sacrifices children in the valley just outside of Jerusalem. There's archaeological evidence of these things, by the way. They've found the places where this used to happen. And Manasseh was the guy who signed out off on it. This is what Josiah grew up in. And at age eight, he's eight years old when they give him the throne. Eight years old. All he has ever known is brokenness. He has no idea what the kingdom is supposed to look like. And he's given rule at age eight. And as far as the story of Josiah goes, one of the things we can identify is that somehow from the beginning, God had been at work in him. God intended to do something tremendous through him. But one of the most pivotal moments in his life is when he turned 18. He's 18 years old, and this priest named Hilkiah is cleaning out the temple. They're kind of renovating the temple. This is one of the things Josiah has asked them to do. In the process, they find a book. Hilkiah says, it's the book of the law. It's Torah. We found the book of the law. And what's, what's interesting about it is there's pretty wide scholarly consensus that the book they found, based upon what Josiah does, the book they found, most people agree, is either part or all of Deuteronomy. And it had been lost to them for a very long time. So Josiah has found Deuteronomy. And there's this woman, a prophet, named Hulda, who is brought in to speak to the king and try to help him understand these things and make sense of these things and what God is speaking through all of this. And when Josiah hears the story, it changes him. It, it turns his entire world around. 
He institutes all of these reforms in terms of worship. He has all of the idols burned outside of Jerusalem. He has all of these idolatrous priests thrown out. He leads a very real revival and renewal of the covenant in Israel. It's this amazing story. Josiah changes everything. And the whole revolution begins with him hearing the story. Josiah is what happens when you come back to the story, when you cling to the story. It renews and restores us. God renews and restores and revives his people through the story. The same thing you've probably already heard. This is what we're seeing. It keeps going though, right? Jesus comes on the scene. As he's baptized, there's this powerful thing that happens. The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and the next thing the Spirit does, we hear, is leads him out into the wilderness. We talk about this every year in Lent. You're familiar with it. And what we're told in, in Matthew 4 and in all of the, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all tell us this story of Jesus being out in the wilderness without food for 40 days, being tempted by the enemy. And with each passing temptation, I don't know if you've ever noticed it. Maybe you should look at it. It might be worth your while. Every temptation Jesus responds to, he rejects what Satan is saying, and every time he leans on Deuteronomy. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy three different times out in the wilderness. In the, the weakest and most vulnerable moment of his life at that point, he's under assault. And Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy. This is what comes to him in that moment. There's a, a scholar, Daniel Block, and I've never heard anybody say it like this and, until this week. He calls Deuteronomy Jesus' favorite book. I was like, I've never seen this book this way. Jesus' favorite book. Because Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy more often than any other Old Testament book aside from Psalms. There's 150 of those, by the way. He's got more to quote from. Jesus quotes his favorite worship music more often than Deuteronomy, but that's it. This is his favorite book. He uses it again and again. The words of Moses come to him again and again in some of the most significant moments of his life. In Luke 10, you all know this moment. A man comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In Matthew and, and Mark, he asks the question, What is the greatest commandment? Most people think it's the same story, just told slightly different. What's the greatest commandment? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's the most important thing? And what does Jesus lean on but Deuteronomy 6? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus leans on. And then when the man presses him further, begins to question what exactly he means in Luke 10, he articulates one of the most familiar parables. Parable of the Good Samaritan. It's this beautiful story. And I'd never considered how it really arises from the reflection of Jesus on Deuteronomy. Jesus is reflecting his entire life on these words of Moses. And the parable of the, the Good Samaritan, it's birthed from that reflection, from Jesus being shaped by the story. Jesus is shaped by this book. 
more than I think we realize by this story, by these laws, by this way of life. And I think that's why it's worth our time. Deuteronomy, again, it can feel just like a repeat. What exactly are we doing? And yet, it's enough that Jesus was being shaped by this. It's enough that the kings of Israel were shaped by this, that it, that it changed things, that it can change the trajectory of history, that we could be formed into the people God desires for us to be just by hearing the story. The hope is, is like our generation too can, can be affected by the story, right? It can speak to the, the things that have gone on in generations before us that we had no part in. It can speak to the things going on right now. It can shape us in ways that I don't think we realize. This is a, a kind of pivotal moment we're living through, at least culturally in the church. This is a pivotal moment. And in a church, especially as young as ours, like it's like Deuteronomy is especially relevant. It's a book written for young people. It's a book written for, for those who've come to a crossroads, who are trying to sort through what is next. What does this mean? What is ahead? Moses is speaking wisdom in the story. And there's something beautiful about this reminder. Moses is telling your story. Moses is speaking to you. He keeps saying you over and over again. And the way the church has heard this for, for centuries has been that Moses isn't just talking to them. When he says you, he's talking to me. This is my story. It's inherited. And there's a whole lot of things that are broken about it. And yet I see all of that in myself. And there's a whole lot of stuff in it, in it that's beautiful. And I don't necessarily relate to some of those things. And maybe I've never experienced some of those things. And yet it's still mine. This is your story. And as we come to the table, like we do week in and week out, there's this reminder that even though we didn't sit at that table with Jesus, even though we didn't pass the bread or the cup, when Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, he means you, not just them. He means you. He means us. He's speaking directly to us. There's something powerful about that. That's what Moses is trying to help us see. This is for you. You can't walk away from this. You can't start being shaped by another story. You have to be shaped by this one. This is your story. God has made it so. How are you being shaped by the story? How have you moved on from the story? There are so many moments in our lives where we, we feel like we get it. We understand and we've kind of moved on from it. And what we don't realize is that subtly, quietly, we're being shaped by other narratives, other stories. And this one is, is beginning to, to lose its hold on us. And Moses calls us back. Jesus calls us back. Hear the story of God's steadfast love to a rebellious people, to a broken people. Hear God's steadfast love, not just in the beginning, that slowly fades away, but even to the point of death on a cross. Stay in that story. Give yourselves to it. That's what we want uh, in the coming weeks. And as the band comes, we invite you. Come and tear a, a piece of bread off. Come and take a cup and move back toward your seats, uh, and then we'll all come back together and partake of this. Father, we ask in these moments that you would, that you would speak powerfully. 
that we would find ourselves feeling more connected to your story, that we'd find ourselves and our circumstances situated firmly within that story, that, that our circumstances are not outside of your purview, that you're not apathetic or indifferent to our circumstance, that it all fits into the incredible thing you've been doing from the beginning. Yeah, bring us into your story. Help us to see ourselves that way. May we be changed as we continue to hear it again and again. In Jesus' name, amen.